Chapter Twenty of Miss Frances Baird, Detective, by Reginald Wright Kaufman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I meet Mrs. Maria Bladesdell. I calculated that if I would walk slowly and by a roundabout way, I should serve a double purpose. First, by getting to the Bladesdell place after Evelyn and her friends had safely returned from the funeral and gone to their own rooms to prepare for dinner, and second to fail in meeting the industrious Mr. Laird, of whom I had caught just three faint glimpses as, pursuing our carriage, he ran after us along the main highway. The result showed that I had not misjudged matters, for I came in sight of my destination just as one of the Deneen turnouts was leaving it, and I did not come in sight of Mr. Laird at all. It was a tumble-down place, the Bladesdell house, and explained in some measure both the purse-proud Elder Deneen's eccentric wish to have the wedding festivities under his own roof-tree, and the wonderful widow's acquiescence in his otherwise strange desire. Standing well back from the road, it was a picture of gentility run to seed, the driveway sadly overgrown with weeds, the lawns untended, and the whole exterior displaying a condition in perfect keeping with the dispiriting appearance of the ensemble. I strode up bravely, however, rang the bell, and was answered by a maidservant sufficiently neat and sufficiently fresh to American soil. Was Mrs. Bladesdell at home? Yes, she was, of course, at home, seeing that she never went out at all, at all. Would she see me? No doubt she would, if I would send up my card. And so send up my card, I accordingly did. There was some delay, of course, but I was at last shown into a big sitting-room, lighted only by a green-shaded lamp, in the full glow of which, beside a table littered with fancy-work and newspapers, sat the mother of Evelyn Bladesdell. My first impression of her was simply that of extreme age. In all my life I have never seen anybody who looked so old. She was little and stooped, her whole body withered to the very limit of vital endurance. Her eyes were sunken and ringed and flanked by a startling array of crow's feet, her nose thin and hooked, and her mouth, albeit expressive of a certain unconquerable firmness, had yet that loose look that even the best of false teeth cannot remedy. Her whole face, from forehead to chin, was but a network of fine wrinkles. The tremulous hand with which she held her knitting was almost transparent, with the blue veins high and prominent. I learned afterwards that the woman's appearance was largely the result of her infirmities. She had been unable to walk for a dozen years and had a detestable temper but as I say, the impression which she conveyed was solely one of great age, and this, far from being reduced, was thrown into a high and even mocking light by the fact that she wore a crooked, frizzled, brown little wig under her jaunty lace cap, and that upon those wrinkled cheeks there was a lavish display of rouge. "'Good afternoon, Miss Baird,' she said as I entered. "'You will pardon me for not getting up to welcome you. I am something of an invalid.' Her tone rather startled me. It, at all events, was anything but old. On the contrary, it was calm and particularly nasty, and as I drew nearer I noticed that her eyes were its very mates, faded, to be sure, but cold and bright and hard. I murmured as best I might some consolation. "'Not at all, not at all,' snapped my hostess. "'I get along quite as well as I could wish, thank you.' I sat down, and there was an awkward pause. Each was waiting for the other to begin and each instinctively feeling that the other was an enemy. Neither wanted to give her opponent the advantage by firing the opening shot. I would have held out as long as she, however, but that I particularly wanted to get my interview finished before any interruption offered, and so I at last capitulated. "'Mrs. Bladesdell,' 
I began, somewhat timorously, I confess, I have come to see you on a rather important matter. I am sure, she responded, that I can't imagine what it can be. It is about this terrible affair over at the Denines. She sat up very straight, put her knitting down in her lap, folded her hands, and glared hard at me. And who are you? she asked. I am a detective. Ah, indeed. I have heard of detectives, but I need scarcely say that I have never before met one. Like most women who marry above them, Maria Bladesdell had marvelously well acquired the grand air. In whose employ are you, may I ask? That was something of a blow. I did not dare to confess that Mr. Deneen himself had retained me, for I did not want that to get to the ears of Kemp and his friends, who probably believed that I was acting under Mr. Gray, with a chance that they had accepted my lie about coming over to their side of the case, and, on the other hand, I did not care to say, what was of course untrue, that I was still with the Watkins people. So I compromised. "'I am in the employ,' I said, "'of one of the interested parties.' "'Well, what do you expect to get from me?' As a matter of fact, it began to look as if I would save myself trouble by expecting nothing. The best I could do, apparently, was to be relatively frank. "'Mrs. Bladesdell,' I pleaded, "'can I understand that what I am about to say will be held by you as a confidence?' "'You can understand exactly what you please, miss. I am sure I can't be responsible for your understanding. As to whether what you say will be treated as a confidence by me, that's as I see fit.' I don't make promises in the dark. Very well, Mrs. Bladesdell, I said, seeing that I must take the risk of my mission reaching Kemp. I shall trust you anyhow, for I can see that you are a gentlewoman. Humph, said Mrs. Bladesdell. And so, I proceeded, I shall tell you everything. In the first place, I do not believe that Mr. Fredericks is guilty of this crime, and it is my endeavor to clear him. You'll find that a pretty hard job. I am afraid so, but I mean to try to acquit him, because, as I say, I am certain that he is innocent. You are, eh? Well, young women are all alike. Handsome looks are enough to convince them of innocence, no matter what the facts are. But you've come to the wrong place if you came to me for anything that can help Mr. Fredericks. I know nothing to his credit, though I've known him all his life. You have only just met him, and you think he is innocent. I have known him for years, and I am sure he is guilty. She said it with a snap, and she bit off the ends of her words with an unmistakable animosity. I was angry, but I did not dare to give way to my feelings. But surely, Mrs. Bladesdell, you are at any rate willing to give me any facts that you are able to give. I am glad to say that I know nothing about the case. I turned on her suddenly and fired my best gun. "'Mrs. Bladesdell, what time did your daughter get home on the night of the murder?' "'That ought to have bowled down the average mother, but it left this one as calm as you please. She never so much as winked.' "'I am sure I have not the slightest idea. I am an invalid, as I said, and I go to bed early.' "'And though an invalid, you sleep soundly?' I said it sweetly, almost sympathetically, and that old woman pretended to take it as an honest expression of my real feelings.' It is one of the few comforts that I do. So you have no idea at all? Mr. Remington and Mr. Stenger told me what they believed to be the time, you know, but I wanted verification from you. I haven't an idea. Why don't you ask Miss Bladesdell herself? I shall probably have several questions to ask her, later. So you slept as soundly as usual that night? Sounder. So soundly, in fact, Mrs. Bladesdell, that you did not hear anyone enter the house? 
and if such a thing had by chance occurred would not have heard any one still later leave it her sharp little eyes went right through me but gave no token of having discovered anything or of disclosing it to me if they had just so she said what was there left i tried once more to be as honest as i dared to be perfectly frank with you then i have asked these otherwise impertinent questions mrs bladesdell because mr frederick's defence is balked at every turn by the fact that he left the maples on that night and stubbornly refuses to tell even those who are working in his interest where he went or what he did we must find that out before we can do anything for him the widow calmly looked me over again from head to foot if he won't tell she vouchsafed it's a pretty good sign that he has reason to be ashamed of it but mrs bladesdell it might not be that at all it might be only that he was afraid that if he told the truth he might be compromising somebody don't you see and you can't help me once more she looked me through young woman she said i can't if you mean to imply that mr fredericks only left that house in order to come over here and have a clandestine meeting with my daughter then all i can say is that you know miss bladesdell better than her own mother knows her very much better i fancied but that i could not say and therefore i held my tongue in sheer perplexity mrs bladesdell looked me over for a last time quite thoroughly and ended with a toss of her head which seemed to show that she did not consider me really worth bothering with any longer you see she concluded i cannot help you all that i can tell you about this frederick's person is that he is the sort of young man who will disregard the expressed wishes of a lady against his suit for her daughter's hand and that he will even go so far as to try to press that suit when he knows even the lady in the case does not want him and is in fact engaged to another man his own friend but mrs bladesdell he has never done anything really to harm you her mouth went square he has ruined my daughter's happiness for life she said he has murdered the man she loved i sincerely hope that he will hang for it and i wish you good evening now what is one to do in the face of a thing like that nowadays with my greater store of experience i might be able to answer such a question but at that time i could not answer it at all i simply and disgracefully retreated of course as soon as i got outside of the house i thought of a thousand things i might have done and twice as many that i might have asked or replied but i was gone the door was closed and it only remained to pursue my investigation as best i might accordingly i returned to the maples in the open laird by the way was waiting for me at a little distance from the gate and at once ordered a carriage brought round remington and stenger had told me that they drove over to the bladesdells that night after the dance at a moderate pace and at such a pace i now drove over the ground watch in hand i covered the distance in just fifteen minutes the men had then gone into the town to make as much of a night of it as was possible in black springs but that did not concern me so i got out of my vehicle and sent it back to the maples then i did a little scouting and regardless of the shadowy presence of mr laird soon found a path which led through a hole in the hedge across the lots directly to the denine place it entered those grounds close by the house and over a course which would be pretty dark by night and altogether safe i determined it carefully and then going back ran along to its finish i did it in something under twelve minutes now evelyn bladesdell must by my calculations have reached her home that fatal night at about two fifty seven o'clock if she had gone directly to her room and then immediately begun the return trip 
she would have been under the window of james j denneen jr and directly observable from that of the man who loved her and was now presumably protecting her at at least three o nine a m or within two minutes of the moment when her fiance was being brutally murdered End of chapter twenty